You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to everyone here. Good morning to those who are watching us online. Maybe you're watching us live now, watching us throughout the week at your own convenience. Uh, or for those of you in the Cross Point Center, thank you for being here. Uh, if you heard Pastor Jim say, my name is Garrett Burns. I serve on staff here as one of our pastors of our college ministry, young adult ministry, and small groups. And today we are entering into our fourth week of our Houdat series, or that's what Pastor Phil likes to call it as a Saints fan, but our series is Who's That? And we're entering into week four where we are taking a look at lesser known, little known stories in scripture uh, for many of us, but uh, they're not little known in the eyes of God and they actually have big truths for all of us to understand. Now, a little known story for most of you here is how my wife and I began to date. There's a big moment in many single people's lives, you young people, you know what I'm talking about, where you go through this stage where you're just talking. Like I talk to a lot of people, but I guess it's a little bit different when you're, when you're thinking about dating them. And you come to this point where you're hanging out and you decide at some level that you want to DTR. Now, if you don't know what DTR means, to DTR is to define the relationship. And so uh, my, my now wife and I, were, we'd been working together all summer. And then the last week of the camp that we worked at and into the final weeks of our summer break, she's about to head off uh, to college at UNC Chapel Hill for her, for her sophomore year. Okay, we got some fans. Great. Uh, well, I was staying here at UNCW. Go Eagles. Wings up. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. All right. Anyway, anyway, she was going to head off. And so we were going to be in different cities. And I was like, this is my moment. Like this, I'm going to DTR. I'm going to define this relationship. And so I put a perfect plan in place. I thought it was foolproof. We were gonna, we were gonna go out to dinner. We were gonna go watch the sunset. We were gonna come back. I was gonna give her a, a gift that I thought was pretty good for only knowing her for a little bit of time. And then, uh, and then I was gonna share with her my heart and I was gonna ask her to officially be my girlfriend. I thought this was a perfect plan, but uh, it didn't really come to fruition. And you may say, well, Garrett, why didn't it not come to fruition? And that's because I really didn't know the person that I was getting ready to date. There was, there's something about her. She is on the ball. She's on top of it. I didn't know this. She'd been frustrated that it had even taken me this long. She thought this thing should have been defined. And so <laughs> we're, we're back. We go to dinner. We go see the sunset. And I'm, I haven't yet given her the gift or shared my heart, but we're just having a conversation. And she says, she stops the conversation and says, listen, look, I've got, I've got friends. I've got roommates back at Chapel Hill. I've been texting them. They know, they know that you and I have been talking and, and they got questions and I'm going to need to have an answer for them when I get there. So this is the big moment. This is the romantic moment that Kaylee and I uh, solidified this relationship. She looks at me and she says, so what are we, huh? Like, that was it. That was, that was it. So what are we, huh? And I was like, man, this is ridiculous. So I needed a redemption. She beat me to the punch to define the relationship as far as dating. And so there was a time eventually where I got down on a knee and I did ask her. I actually asked her a little bit quicker uh, than I think uh, her father was expecting and a little bit quicker than, uh, than she was ready for. But I, I beat her to the punch. I defined the relationship for the last time. Uh, but I could make this story about a lot of things. It could be about 
impatience, maybe. It could be about uh, being direct, you know, being on top of things. I could make it about a lot of things. But the real point of the story is that my now bride, Kaylee, didn't know my plan. She didn't know that I had a plan to ask her. She didn't know that I had a plan to share with her my heart. She needed to know, and she was going to get to the bottom of this. She needed to know my level of commitment to her. She needed to know if I was, if I was really in this relationship or if it was just casual. If, if, I was, if I was all in and dedicated or if I was indifferent and apathetic. And the reality is, just as it is with our dating relationships, how committed we are in relationships makes a difference. It matters. Now, of course, the biggest relationship that we have is not with our friends or with our coworkers. It's not with our, our children. It's not with our boyfriends or our girlfriends. It's not even with our spouses. The biggest relationship that we have in this life is the one that you either have or don't have with your God. But just like those other relationships, there's a level of commitment that has to be made and that has to be assessed. See, our commitment to God is important. Your commitment to your Savior matters. He's demonstrated his level of commitment toward us when he died for us in our place so that we could have what he earned and he paid for what we could not. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they have demonstrated their full commitment to us. So what do you think this message is going to be about this morning? It's going to be about our commitment to our God. And so the question, the questions that I want you to ponder as you listen and maybe even as you leave, bless you, (laughs) is how committed am I to the Savior who offers me eternal life? How far am I willing to go for the God who gave me everything? Am I zealous for my God or am I apathetic in this relationship? Now I want us to to read a story this morning of a, a lesser known character in scripture for many of us that exemplified the epitome of zeal and commitment to his God. In fact, one commentary says that Phineas is one of the great heroes of faith in scripture. Though he's quite unknown to many of us, he is never forgotten by God. Zeal, my brothers and sisters, is a big deal. So now as I read the word of God this morning, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 15. As I read it right now this morning, just let this wash over you. We're going to go through it again as we look at four truths that God wants us to realize. But let this wash over you as you hear the Holy Spirit speak through his word and what it has to say about your commitment and your zeal for God. If you don't have your copy of scripture, it will be on the screen. Numbers chapter 25, starting in verse 1, says, While Israel was staying in the Acacia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with the women of Moab. The women invited them to the sacrifices for their gods and the people ate and bowed in worship to their gods. And so Israel aligned itself with Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that his burning anger may turn away from Israel. 
So Moses told Israel's judges, kill each of the men who aligned themselves with Baal of Peor. Now in this moment, an Israelite man came bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now when Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he got up from the assembly He took a spear in his hand. He followed the Israelite man into the tent and he drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman through her belly. So then the plague on the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. So the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites because he was zealous among them with my zeal so that I did not destroy the Israelites in my zeal. Therefore declare, I grant him my covenant of peace. It will be a covenant of perpetual priesthood for him and his future descendants because he was zealous for his God and he made atonement for the Israelites. Now the name of the slain Israelite man who was struck dead with the Midianite woman was Zimri, son of Salu, the leader of a Simeonite family. And the name of the slain Midianite woman was Cosby, the daughter of Zor, a tribal head of a family in Midian. Will you pray with me as we seek to understand this text to a greater degree this morning? Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you for being a God who does not stay silent, but you speak to us. Lord, would you speak to us this morning as we seek to to hear from you? and, And would you allow, would you move the Holy Spirit uh, to move in our hearts, in our minds, so that we can be transformed from one degree of glory to the next according to your word. Would you speak clearly and powerfully through me? And when you get glory this morning, in your name, in the name of your son, amen. So like I said, <clears throat> his zeal is a big deal. I mean, <laughs> we read the text, right? He went so far, his zeal caused him to spear two people dead. And, and then he gets rewarded for it, right? Like, how does that make sense? His zeal caused him to do great things. And if his zeal is a big deal, it matters this morning for you and I, because your zeal is a big deal. But what does it mean for us if we are zealous or not? What's, what is coming our way? What difference does it make if we have zeal for God or if we don't have zeal for God? Well, let's look at our first truth, which is when you lack zeal for God, you react selfishly. When you lack zeal for God, you are going to react selfishly. Now, this is exactly where we we enter into the lives of the Israelite community. See, many have lost their zeal for God. And we have to remember, this is is one generation. This is the same group of people that walked through the Red Sea with walls of water on both sides. This is the same group of people that were in captivity, in slavery, in bondage, and God plucked them out of that and called them his people. This is the same group of people that ate manna every single day. And when they complained and they wanted some meat, he gave them more meat than they could ask for or they could ever want. He, he, he f- gave them water out of a rock. He, he gave them victory over enemies as they plodded through the wilderness. The same people experienced all of that. And yet their zeal for God was waning. They lost it. And the scripture speaks of, of what resulted. They reacted selfishly when opportunities came before them to choose something other than complete commitment to their God. 
We read about it in the first five verses. We see that it says that they prostituted themselves. They ate, they bowed down in worship. They aligned themselves with Baal of Peor. And we know that they were going to then be executed in judgment in broad daylight. Open sin was going to result in open judgment for the people of God. And immediately we read this and we think, man, this is really drastic. Like this, the language even being used is, is really severe. But it's not just that they sinned. It's not just that they tolerated sin. It's not just that God seemed to be a little displeased with them. It's said that the people prostituted. The ESV said that they whored themselves out with the women that they were forbidden to do so with. And even then, it wasn't just sexual immorality that they were involved in. They ate food sacrificed to other false gods. And not only that, they got on their knees, they prostrated themselves, they bowed down in worship to a false deity. They were harlots, they were traitors, they clearly lacked commitment, much less any zeal for the God that had done so much for them. And here we get to the root of the matter, that their lack of zeal for God allowed the people to react out of their own selfish desires. Their lack of zeal opened the door for sin to enter. And you guys know there are just certain things in life that you will never do. And I'm not talking about sin because we understand we don't say we'll never do this sin or that sin. Pride goes before the fall. We always need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit for that. But there are other things in life that you would just never do. For instance, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I bleed black and gold. I love, I love the team. I love the mascot. I love the colors. I love how we win. We haven't had a losing season in like 20 years. Legit, go look it up. What team can say that? But when I see some purple and black together, or, or if I see some, some brown and some orange together, there's something, my stomach just gets all knotted up. There's something physically grotesque about that. Like the, the, the colors, the, the mascot, the, the name and the city, the way that it just doesn't roll off the tongue. It's, it's awful. It's, it's ridiculous. I would never, ever think of aligning myself with them because I have a zeal for the Pittsburgh Steelers. However, Let's say maybe Alabama and LSU are playing against one another. <laughs> I have zero dogs in this fight. My, my zeal for both of these teams is a combined goose egg. Like it's nil, I got nothing. So you can bet that I'm gonna give my Saturday afternoon fandom to whoever is gonna feed me the best between Pastor Jim and Pastor Phil. Like whoever's grill is cooking up the best, I'm gonna be right there. I can be bought with a relatively low price. My fandom, my zeal, my allegiance will go with whatever my stomach wants out of complete selfishness because I don't have any zeal for either one of these teams. And this is a picture of what's taking place in the midst of God's people. Many claim to be followers of Yahweh, but at the first opportunity to get something that they want, they're quick to give it up for a false God. Now the sin of the Israelites, this is the real sin of the Israelites, is that they demonstrated blatant disrespect 
and disregard for the special relationship between Yahweh and his people. God had plucked them out of obscurity. He had put his love on them and he made a special covenant with them and they spit on it and played the prostitute with another nation and another God. And this was no accident either. We can see in the preceding chapters, if you can just let me sum it up for you real quickly. Basically, the Israelites had come up in war against these three kings that had aligned themselves. And because God was on their side, they whooped them. I mean, they, they, really, they really took it to them. And so there's this other king in the region. His name is Balak. And he says, man, I thought these were just a ragtag group of ex-slaves, but I'm going to have to start taking them seriously now. And so he goes to this prophet who's actually a false prophet. Balak doesn't know that. This prophet named Balaam. And he says, listen, I need you. If they come against me, I don't know my chances. So how about you put a curse on them and I'll pay you for it. I'll pay you a lot of money. And so Balaam's like, well, I love a good payday. And so he goes and does whatever he does when he thinks he's talking to God. But this time Yahweh actually shows up and he speaks to Balaam and he says, listen, you're not going to curse my people. In fact, I'm going to make sure that you bless them. And Balaam's like, yo, I'm actually talking to God this time. And so he's like, block, I can't do it. And so he ends up blessing Israel three times. But we read in Numbers chapter 31, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, we see the truth of a conversation that took place after that between Balak and Balaam, where basically Balak goes to Balaam and he's like, bro, I'm, I pay, like, I'm paying you money. Do something for me. And Balaam's like, well, I, I, God told me I have, to, I have to bless him, so I'm going to bless him. But maybe, maybe I can't curse them, but maybe they can curse themselves. Don't you have a God, uh, it's like the God of fertility, Bow of Peor or something? How about you get your prettiest women? How about you get the pagan prostitutes and you send them among the men of Israel and see if they won't fall to that temptation. See if they won't entice the men of Israel to immorality and idolatry. And it works. See, without zeal for God, they fell to the selfishness of their own desires. You see, what an enemy could never do against Israel, Israel did to itself through disobedience. And that same principle works among you and I and our people today. That the mightiest attacks of Satan against us can never do as much damage as our own sin and rebellion against the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have to figure out first where our weak points are, where we haven't already submitted our full selves to the Savior. Because Satan will attempt to do the same thing to you and to me that Balak and Balaam did with the Israelites. You have to develop real convictions now, before the temptation comes your way, if you ever hope to not react selfishly. If you're a teenager, maybe you need to develop firm convictions on vaping and alcohol and sexuality. If you're married, maybe it's the possibility of divorce and whether or not you would ever allow that thought to become an option and creep into your mind. If you don't develop a zeal for godliness now, you will react selfishly when other options arise. And so where is Phineas in this whole matter? Let's keep reading. Our second point is when you do have zeal for God, you recognize sin. The first one, if you don't, you react selfishly. If you do have zeal for God, you recognize sin. 
Despite the thousands of Israelites who had thrown aside their commitment and their zeal for God, there was one in particular who was exemplary in his zeal. What do we see in verses six in the beginning of seven? It says, an Israelite man came bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw this, he got up from the assembly. Now, I just have to say, is this Israelite man not absurdly bold in his sin? Like, let me paint the picture for you a little bit. There's a town hall meeting, but it's on steroids. It's not just the town. It's not just the state, the province, the region. It's the entire nation is gathered at the tent of meeting where God comes to meet with his people and to speak through Moses. And Moses is there and he's handing down the verdict. He is telling the people that those who have committed sexual immorality and idol worship will be publicly killed for their transgressions against almighty God. And the people understandably, rightly are weeping. They're crying sad tears, mournful tears, painful tears. And in the midst and in the middle of all of this judgment, here comes Zimri holding the hand of this Midianite woman named Cosby. And this fool walks right in front of everybody and takes this woman into the tent with him. Now the scripture says the grandson of the high priest Aaron saw this and gets up. So Phineas saw this, but it's not just that he laid eyes on this. It's that Phineas saw the action for what it truly was. He saw it as sin. He was zealous for his God and he recognized the gravity of the situation. It was this ability that enabled him to refrain from falling to the temptation in the first place when the women came in from Moab. The temptation was there for all the people. But Phineas held out and was committed to God from the beginning. He could recognize the temptation of sin in that moment, and he's recognizing the brazen actions of Zimri as sin in this moment as well. Like, I read this story, I'm just befuddled, honestly. Like, bro, do you not see that everybody is standing right there? Are they invisible to you? But this was Zimri. He was in his own little world created just for him. His blood relatives are being killed as we speak for the very actions that he is flaunting right in front of everyone. One commentator wrote that this is the most outrageous action of apostate behavior anywhere in the Torah. And you see, the reality is we far too often see things without ever really seeing them as well. It's kind of like when you drive from, from place to place and you finally get where you're going and you're like, man, how did I get here? Like I, I started here and I just parked my car, but I don't remember the drive. It's a real thing. It's called highway hypnosis. You don't have to go on the highway to feel it. It, it happens probably a little bit too often to me. Or it's like students, when you go and you're at school all day and you come back and your mom's like, what'd you learn at school? And you're like, mm. Uh, I, uh, I took notes. I had to learn something. I, I, I don't know. Like we're there, but we're not really there. Or even today, men, when you get home and your wife asks you, well, how did you, what did you think about the sermon? And you're like, eh, it was good. And she says, oh yeah, well, 
tell me more. What was it about? And you're like, nah, sin. It's about, about that, that pesky sin. And then she asks, well, what, what, what did he say about sin? And you're like, God's not about it. Nah, he doesn't, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't like it very much. Like you're here with me, but you're not really taking it all in. You're not really hearing it. You're not seeing things for the magnitude of what they are. Even in the world today, we see this everywhere. And there's a difference between watching things play out in the world and then actually recognizing them for what they truly are. There's a difference between seeing bad things happen and recognizing that it is sin and a blatant act of disrespect against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, our zeal for God is what will allow us to see life through the proper lenses and to recognize that there is no such thing as neutrality. Actions are either done in submission to the Savior or in alignment with some other form of idolatry. We have to learn to recognize when things are sinful and be willing to call a spade a spade. It's an important mindset shift in the battle for your soul. And not just in your own life, but in the lives of your family and your friends and your Christian brothers and sisters. We need to have one another's backs in this fight. We are prone to be enticed away if we're not vigilant to protect ourselves and others from the sin that so easily entangles us. But just recognizing sin was not enough. There was something else that came from the zeal of Phineas. And that is that when you have zeal for God, you respond swiftly. Like recognizing sin just brings you to the crossroads. There's something that you then have to do about it. There's a decision to be made. And we see the decisions Phineas made as we start in verse seven. That when Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he got up from the assembly. He took a spear in his hand. He followed the Israelite man into the tent and he drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman through her belly. And the plague on the Israelites was stopped. I mean, this guy is like Peyton Manning. And I know you guys are like, oh, how, is, how is he like Peyton Manning at all? <laughs> Garrett, I don't think that uh, Peyton Manning, I know he played football. It's kind of a rough game, but I don't think he ever killed anybody with a spear. But, but hear me out, right? So he's up at the line and he's looking and he's seeing life passing by. And he's like, okay, I know what they're doing there. I see, I see what that is. I've studied this. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what's right from wrong. Oh, oh, oh let me call an, uh, an audible. Omaha, Omaha, right? Like he's making decisions swiftly in a split second. That's what Phineas does. He sees what's taking place and he knows the proper response. And responding swiftly doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean without thought, right? Swiftly doesn't mean reckless. The Old, or the no, Old Testament, the New Testament passage, Romans chapter 10, verse two speaks toward this. It says, I can testify about them, Paul says, that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That can be dangerous. Either one, zeal and knowledge, if you don't have one and you only have the other, is a recipe for trouble. And there can be a form of bad zeal that responds with reckless action and not righteous action. And so in saying his zeal made him respond swiftly, I don't mean he responded carelessly. Swiftly just means that he was not going to allow sin to continue any more than it was up to him. So what does he do? First, it says he got up. And we're all thinking, well, I mean, 
I got up and down to sing today too. Like, like that's not a big deal. It sounds pretty simple. But think about your life. How many times have you seen somebody do something wrong and you don't say anything? How many times have you seen somebody maybe break the law and you turn a blind eye? How many times have you seen a Christian brother or sister sin and you turn away from it, you sit on your hands, you act like it's not your problem, or maybe even worse, you cover for them or justify it? You see, we all know that it's not always easy to take a stand against something. Often the easiest thing that we can do is to just stay seated. But for Phineas, his zeal would not allow that to happen. So he gets up and it does what? It says he took a spear in his hand and he followed the Israelite man into the tent. He grabbed the right tool for the right time and he pursued the problem. Remember, everyone could see this, right? Like we read it. It's in the sight of Moses and the entire Israelite community. Everyone is witnessing what's taking place, but only he gets up to take action. People were dying for the very sin being committed and flaunted by this man that supposedly declares himself a follower of Yahweh. So then Phineas catches up to them. And what happens? The result is that he drives it through both of them, the man and the woman. The picture presented here is that they had already begun to commit the kind of sexual immorality that the nation had been involved in. The Hebrew text makes it most evident that they were actually performing this absurd sin in the tent of meeting. They had taken the sin that they were committing outside of the tent in the pagan temples and they had brought it right into the place where God meets with his people. It's like they were doing it right here on this stage in front of us. Everything just continues to build the case that somebody with a zeal for the Lord needs to respond swiftly. The large-scale sin that Israel had been a part of is summed up in the specific actions of these two people. And guys, there are so many areas of our lives that we need to be that we need to begin to develop a zeal for God so that we can respond swiftly. Sin is ready for us just like it was ready for the Israelites, even after God had blessed them. So what is the sin in your life that you need to respond swiftly against? Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's some other sort of sexual temptation. It's a fight that you have to fight. Maybe it's anger. Often overlooked, but maybe you get into arguments and you can feel your, your temperature rising and your blood pressure rising, your heart beating faster, and you have outbursts of anger. You need to fight that. Maybe it's cheating in school. I've been around far too many high schoolers and college students now that everything is so, so online where it is so easy to cheat and act like it's not a problem. It's a sin. We, learn, we learned it in VBS with a little balloon illustration that God is there. God is with you. We need to respond swiftly. Jesus says we need to cut off the hand or pluck out the eye, whatever it takes, so that we remain committed to him. But it's not just for our own life, against our own sin. We need to be zealous against the sins of one another. 
If you look to your left and your right, in front of you and behind you, it's in our church covenant. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You have a responsibility given by God for the sanctification of your brothers and sisters, which means that we also need to be a church that rebukes one another. Done rightly, according to the way Jesus prescribes in the gospel of Matthew. As Pastor Phil always says, with grace and with truth. With truth and with grace. And thirdly, we need to be zealous for God in doing good works. We need to share the gospel with people. We need to be willing to sacrifice our time and energy. Maybe you need to go this morning when you leave. And go online and look up some of the mission opportunities that are coming down the pike that we have available to you. So now we've arrived at our final point. What can we expect from zeal? What did Phineas receive for his zealous actions? Our fourth point is when you have zeal for God, you receive blessings. If you don't, you react selfishly. If you do, you recognize sin, you respond swiftly, and then you can receive blessings. I didn't, I didn't have an S for that one, sorry. You receive blessings. What does it say in verses 10 through 13? That the Lord spoke to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites because he was zealous among them with my zeal, so that I did not destroy the Israelites in my zeal. Therefore, Declare this, that I grant him my covenant of peace and it will be a covenant of perpetual priesthood for him and his future descendants because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the Israelites. The first blessing that we see is for the nation that Phineas, because of his zeal, turned back the wrath of God. The Israelites were spared. Now the plague, there was already a plague happening and we don't know what kind of plague it was, but it clearly brought death up to 24,000 people. But it was all over as soon as somebody with great commitment and zeal for God stood up and took action. And then the second blessing that we see is a personal one. This is for Phineas himself, that God would give him a perpetual priesthood. He made a, a covenant of peace with him. You know, there was only ever one high priest at any given moment. And Phineas, or Aaron had a bunch of sons. We read that, that two of them actually died because they offered up uh, uh, unwarranted incense to God. But he had other sons. And so it was going to come through Aaron, but it wasn't a guarantee that it would go to Phineas. Fin, Aaron, Eleazar, and then Phineas but God looks at the heart and he looks at the character of people. And he saw the faithfulness of the heart of Phineas demonstrated in action. Kind of like what we see James telling us in chapter 2 of his book. And he was rewarded with the priestly lineage. And throughout Jewish history, we see that they would sing about him. They would sing of the zeal of Phineas in Psalms such as 106, 28 through 31, where it says that they aligned themselves. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to sing it. But they aligned themselves with Baal of Peor and they ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They angered the Lord with their deeds and a plague broke out against them. But Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was stopped. And it was credited to him as righteousness through all generations to come. The people would sing of the zeal of Phineas for generations to come. There was a blessing for the nation and there was a blessing specifically for Phineas 
because of his zeal. His zeal was a big deal, which means for you and I that your zeal is a big deal. It matters. Now, you know, today, this morning, this story might hit our ears and, and maybe we cringe a little bit. Right? You, might, you might read this and you think, I mean, I still don't get it. Like how on earth is Phineas in the right for acting this way? And then even if, if he was able to get away with it, how does he actually receive blessing for this? Maybe we gotta, we gotta get through our Bible in a year plane. And so we gotta read chapter 24, 25 and 26 today. And so we just blow right on through. And so we stop there and we, and we, we move in one of two directions. The first one is we say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust God's word. If, if he says it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. And so we go off and we become incredibly rude and inconsiderate and harsh to the world and to one another. We say, well, Phineas was a mighty man of zeal and he actually killed people when they sinned. So, so it's not anything for me if I'm just mean to people and I, I beat them down when they do something wrong. Or I'm going to get my Facebook fingers on fire and I'm going to start posting and, and ridiculing and getting at people anytime somebody in the culture says something out of line. Tell me when that saved anybody ever. Or we go the other direction and we say, well, I know that that was God then, but he's different now. And he forgives everyone for everything. And he isn't all blood and, and payback like he used to be. And so I'm glad, really, truly, I'm glad that Phineas was right for the moment then. But I really think God just wants me to smile at everybody and, and tell them that they're doing great on their own journey. And I bet God will be pleased with the zeal that I have for not ruffling any feathers. But both of these interpretations would be wrong. Instead, what we should do as we listen to the Holy Spirit speak this morning is play close, pay close attention to the two words that we see God handed down to Moses at the end of verse 13, when it says that Phineas made atonement. See, within these two words, made atonement, we see both the justification for the actions of Phineas and the reasoning for why we don't respond with spears today. See, it's important for us to understand, which is why it's repeated so many times, that Phineas is the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest. He is of the priestly lineage, which means he has a responsibility. He had a mindset that he was in charge of protecting the tent of meeting. He was in charge of protecting the tabernacle. So if anybody were to come and try to take something from God, take something from the tent. He would have to protect it at all costs, sometimes meaning violence. So firstly, in this context, we see Phineas is protecting the integrity of the house of God itself, the very place where God brings his presence to meet with his people. But then secondly, we have to understand this, that the price of sin is always blood. It always has been, always was, and it even always will be, even to this day. The price doesn't change. That's why we read in Romans that the wages of sin is death. That's the pouring out of blood. That's the reason the Old Testament sacrificial system began. It was because some blood has to be shed for the payment of sins. 
Zimri paid the price for his own sins at the hands of Phineas. See, for Phineas, it was right for him both to protect the tabernacle and to ensure that the proper price was being paid for sin. God blessed Phineas because he made atonement. Because it was going to get his atonement. Either God was going to get his atonement through the plague or he was going to get it through Zimri at the hands of Phineas and Providence chose Phineas. But we also need to catch this, that we have the justification for Phineas's actions in the words that he made atonement. But in these words, there's also the reason that we don't respond in the same way that Phineas did today. And it's not because God doesn't want us to be zealous It's not because sin doesn't have to be paid for and it can just be wiped away. And it's not because God has changed in some way. It's because atonement no longer has to be made by our blood or the blood of goats or bulls or lambs. It is because atonement has been made. The price has been paid in full by Jesus, the son of God. See, we don't put spears through people's bodies today because 2,000 years ago, Romans put nails through the wrists and the feet of our Savior. Zimri deserved his death. Jesus paid the penalty that he never deserved so that we can receive the gift of eternal life that we could never afford. But our response is an overflow of love and commitment and passion and zeal for God. We look at this text and we immediately think, well, man, I'm Phineas. But we're not Phineas. Jesus is the better Phineas. We are Zimri. We are those who have sinned and continue to be disobedient over and over again. We're the ones who deserve to pay the price to make atonement for our sins, but the love of God would not allow that. Just as Phineas took matters into his own hands, the father took matters into his own hands by sending his son to live perfectly, die unjustly, and rise triumphantly. Would that truth transform us all today? We need to decide now before we leave through these doors, if that truth is going to be transformative in our life today or not. So where can you begin to pray, to ask God to open your eyes for discernment for where you haven't fully committed yourself to him? Maybe you need to think through those convictions before you go back to school, before you enter college, before you go back to work tomorrow, before you have your next argument, wherever the temptation for you lies. Maybe you simply need to go to the Father and ask for forgiveness and repentance and be able to receive the love and the healing and the eternal life that he is so ready to offer you. Maybe you need to switch away from that smartphone because it's too tempting or throw away the computer. Or maybe you need to join a small group and begin developing the the sort of open community with people that know your life and that you give permission to speak into it and hold you accountable. We all need that. Maybe you're thinking of a person right now that you need to have a conversation with, not to pound them, but because you love them 
and you love the glory of the Lord and you don't want them to continue down the path and the road that they're on. Maybe you need to throw aside the fear that has paralyzed you for far too long that is not from the spirit and you need to share the gospel with your classmate, with your coworker, with your family member that's hard to love. But let us become a people of the same zeal as Phineas, but with the greater understanding that our atonement has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you again for this text. We thank you for this word and the power that is in it because of your Holy Spirit. Would you continue to remind ourselves of this truth and would you cultivate in us a zeal for you? a great love that overflows in passion, not just mentally, Lord, but in the way that we live our lives, how we speak and how we act. Lord, would we be a people that is noticeable in this community, in this society, that we are committed to you now and forevermore. Would you do that for us and your people? In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.